you'll open up your Bible, like I said, to Exodus chapter 19. Uh, that's where we're going to be at this morning as we continue to study through the book of Exodus. And we have, get this opened up here. Um, I want to kind of look back as we begin to, to go through this next chapter. And um, we'll pray here in a minute. But when, when God first appeared to Moses, if you remember, it was back in Exodus chapter 3. And that's how really the, the whole story of God's deliverance of his people began. It was back in Exodus chapter 3. And God had spoke to him, to Moses, from the burning bush, the bush that had the flame but yet wasn't being consumed. And um, in that, I want to reference back to that because in that passage in Exodus chapter 3, when God was speaking in that conversation, um, God had given Moses an encouraging promise. And um, he said specifically in verse 12, he said, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And that was the mountain where Moses was at when he had countered the burning bush, when he was there in the wilderness. And, 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 and now, that Moses's, or now that Moses and um, his, uh, God's people had been delivered out of Egypt, we see in this chapter, and we kind of talked about it a little bit last week, but we see clearly in this chapter that they were camped now before this mountain, this mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And in this chapter, as we begin to see the things take place, at the base of this mountain and on this mountain, we see we can't ignore the fact that God's promise had been fulfilled. And, and I love that as just a reminder as we begin to go through chapter 19 and continue through the rest of this chapter is because the Bible is clear in telling us that all the promises of God are yes and amen. Now, it didn't, didn't happen in the way that Moses thought it would happen, and often it doesn't. God just tells us, I'm going to do these things, and we go forward in faith and, and trusting that the end result will be what God says. But the journey, as Debbie was saying, the process may not be what we expect and certainly hadn't been up to this point. And as we look back to these first 18 chapters of the book of Exodus that we've gone through so far, if we really have to categorically summarize it, we can see that it's just been about God's redemption, how God had redeemed his people. And we've related to that in our own life and the redemption that we've received from God as a result of Jesus' work on the cross. But now as we look forward and study through the next five chapters specifically and on to the rest of the book as well, but specifically for the next five chapters, we're going to see how God here at Mount Sinai stopped to claim his people, to claim the children of Israel as his own by entering into this covenantal relationship with him. And we know this to be the Mosaic Covenant. Um, and he did this just like he had also promised to them. Again, another promise that had been made back in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, when God spoke to him and he said this, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you, again, to the redemption that God has done already up to this point. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And we know it was the hand of God, the, the power of God that was revealed alongside the judgments that were brought against Egypt and Pharaoh through the process. And in that, God said, he said, then I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And in doing so, God would give his people his law, right? 
in taking them to himself, I'll be your God and you will be my people, we know that God made, um, that he would give his people his law. And, and foundation, foundationally, this was needed for some very practical things. First of all, considering every nation has to have some kind of constitution and law to govern it. They weren't to be a, a people of anarchy. They were to have order. God's a God of order. And it was his law that he would give to them for this. And, and the only law, this is, this is awesome, the only law ever to have been revealed from heaven was received by Israel here at Mount Sinai. And in God's laws, and the rabbis had spent the time to break this down, they, 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 they come, come, come to the conclusion that there are 613 specific commands in God's law that was given to Moses. 248 of them can be classified as positive commands. In other words, you shall do this. And then 365 of them were prohibitions. Thou shalt not do this. But when we examine God's word, guys, when you think about it, you go, there had to be more than just the, the practicality of governing a nation behind a law or God's law that would be coming down from heaven in conjunction with God, specifically this, with, with in conjunction with God making a covenant with them and going, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. So as we see this, I want to point out that there's other reasons why. And as I've studied God's Word and read some commentaries and came to some conclusions, I've found that there are six other biblical important reasons for why God gave His people these commands. And as we transition into this section of Scripture, I want you guys to have this at the forefront of your mind. And we see the purpose behind the law. With the reasons, we see the purpose. And so... I'm going to give you scripture references as well. As well, So if you're taking notes, the first reason for God's law being revealed is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 23 through 28, where it specifically tells us, and there's more passages of scripture in addition to this, that reaffirms this in, in, in subtle ways, but it says to us that the law revealed God's glory and God's holiness. Right? If it came from God, it's a part of God, and it reveals God. Through the law, God has revealed His holiness and his glory. And, and, and so if that is one aspect of the law, then it reasons to conclude that the second aspect or an additional aspect is a contrast. Because if, it, if it's come from God, who has it come to? If it's come from God who is holy, it's come to man who is unholy. And, and so we look at the second reason for, for God's law, a contrast to revealing God's holiness we also are told in Romans chapter 7, in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, and that's Romans 7, 7, Romans 13, 1, and then again in 1 Timothy 1, 9, that the law of God as, as a, a reason for it being given to the, the nation of Israel is because that it reveals the sinfulness of man. If the law of God reveals the holiness of God, it also, in contrast, reveals the, 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 the sinfulness of man. And in addition to this, a third reason for the law, according to passages of Scripture like Psalm 147 and verse 19 uh, and Ephesians 2.11, is that the law uh, was given to identify and to set apart the nation of Israel as God's chosen people. It was given to set them apart. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. And as God's chosen people, the law gave them really a godly standard by which they were to continue to, uh, so by which they, they might be able to continue to inhabit the promised land. And according to Judges 
chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, this was the fourth reason for why God had given the law, his law. He, he told them over and over again, if, you, if the, the land was given to you as an inheritance, but your occupation of it, your dwelling in it was conditional. And it was conditional upon them obeying his commands, keeping the law. That was another reason for it. A fifth reason for the law is made known in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, where the apostle Paul wrote and he said that the law acted as a tutor, remember, as a schoolmaster, in order to prepare Israel for the coming of Christ. So we see even a messianic reason for the giving of the law, and that it was to prepare the people for the coming of Christ. And in like manner, a sixth reason, a final reason for why God gave his law is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, where it says that the law was a shadow of good things to come. It was a shadow of good things that would come as it pointed forward, Paul writes in the book of Hebrews, as it pointed forward to the person and of the work of Jesus Christ. And again, so the law was a schoolmaster, it was a tutor, it was something that taught people about their need for the Messiah, but also appointed forward to the person and to the work of Jesus Christ. And so, as we take that into consideration, we read now here, at the base of the mountain of God, the children of Israel, it says in verse 1 of chapter 19, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came into the wilderness of the Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. And so Israel camped there before the mountain of God, before the mountain. And, and Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying this, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I have done to the Egyptians, and how I have bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me, here's the key, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And there are words which you shall speak to the children. And these are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. And so Moses came and called, all, called all, for all the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord had commanded them. Then, verse 8, it says, All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Sounds like a pretty good deal, right? A special treasure of God. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation in exchange for obeying God's voice. And they're like, yeah, we want that. And so in verse 9 it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak to you, and believe you forever. And so Moses told the words to the people, to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, two days, and let them wash their clothes. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up on the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether it is a man or a beast, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds long... They shall come near the mountain. So there's this indicator, this, this, 
this thing in place to signal when to come. In verse 14, it says, so, So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. Same word is, is consecrate, sanctify. And, 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 and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day that you do not come near your wives. And then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud and on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was, was very loud so that all the people were in the camp, were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and, and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And this was, again, in, in the hearing of all the people. Then the Lord came down upon the mountain, on top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses from the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the, to the Lord, basically he's saying, Why do I got to go back down? We've already set things in place. And he says, The people cannot come up to the mountain, for you warned us, saying, Set boundaries around it to the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron, with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come to the Lord, lest they break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak to us this morning as we break through your word here, as we study through your word. And Lord, we know that you're here with us, that we're in your presence. And Lord, just like the children of Israel heard your voice God, when you spoke, we pray that we would hear your voice this morning as you speak to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this, there's a date given or there's a timeline that's being established first off in, in verse 1. And it says, In the third month after Israel left Egypt, they came into the Sinai wilderness and camped before the mountain of God in order to wait for a word from God. And this was in fulfillment, again, to the promises that had been made and the things that God had spoken about about making them his own. They were there. Here they were, and now they were waiting for God to do what he said he was going to do. And, and this date of these things happening in the third month is recorded here in the verse 1 because it, it, it's, it's a signal, it's, a, it's an establishing of a timeline, but it's also a recording of an event, and that again alludes or gives us this idea of importance. An importance of what God did and of what God said, said to his people and did for his people here at Mount Sinai. But it also establishes a timeline of events that we read about here in the future. And when we look ahead, um, we see that the biblical record, in accordance to this biblical record that we're given here in chapter 19, that it'll continue all the way into Numbers chapter 10, verse 10. What takes place here and what we read in between from Numbers, from from here in Deuteronomy or Exodus chapter 19 all the way to Numbers chapter 10, it is accounting an 11-month period of time. There's a lot of, a lot of Scripture for, for a, 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 a period of time, an 11-month period of time. And it's really a, an 11-month period of time where the nation of Israel remained camped at this mountain. They will remain here at the mountain of God for 11 months. 
And in addition to receiving the law, we know that God's people would also construct the tabernacle as God would give Moses the blueprints for the dwelling place of God as God would live among his people there and the, manifest himself in the holy of the, of the most holies. And, and not only the construction of the temple, but all of his furnishings. And we know, in addition to that, that the priesthood was also established here at this mountain. Priests being the intercessors, the mediators for the people to come and have fellowship with their God. And, and, and the priesthood was established and it was instructed. And also the people were numbered. There was a census and all the tribes were organized before they would march on in Numbers chapter 10, Verse 10, into Kadesh Barnea, just outside of the land of Canaan, before they would cross into the promised land. And we know the story that they get there, and, and they, they, they refuse to go in, but that's, that's another part of the story. But 11 months, all the way through Numbers chapter 10. So the point is, is many wonderful things that we're going to be reading about here took place at this mountain. They occurred at Mount Sinai, but on this first day, recorded here in, verse, in chapter 19, this day was the greatest. Out of all of these things that would take place, this day was the greatest for this reason and no other reason. Because God's people would hear His voice. The Creator of all the heavens and all the earth would speak aloud and answer Moses so that all two million people there gathered at the base, sitting at the boundary of the mountain, witnessing this, this spectacular event taking place, would hear the voice of God speak. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 33, Moses would later remind the people of this wonderful event by asking him this question. And you can just hear the astonishment that Moses puts forth. And he says, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like this ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? And we, we may take that for granted today because you and I have the Holy Spirit. We have God's Word. And God speaks to us and communes with us. But this was a first. That God would come and speak to a nation, to a people, choosing them as his own. And when God spoke to his people by his grace, and that's what it was, clearly an act of grace, something they didn't deserve, we see that he called them into a very special life. And man, there's so much application here for our own lives because God has called us also into a special life. When he spoke to us and he said, come follow me. Here's my son Jesus. Look what he's done for you. However that time when God first spoke to you and revealed himself to you and called you to him, he also called you and I into a very special life. Likewise for the children of Israel. And when Moses ascended to the mountain, it says to the top of the mountain, first, the very first time God began to speak to him in verse 3. If you look there. And he directed Moses. He said, go back down and take to them this challenge, a challenge back to his people. But according, according to verse 4, there was a basis for this challenge. And I love this because it, it, it reveals, that, it reveals the, what this whole covenant was rooted in. And we have to remember that. It, it revealed a, a basis or a foundation of the challenge that it was to be rooted really, if you look at verse 4, in what God had already done, Right? The challenge was rooted in what God had already done. In other words, God was saying... 
This is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I expect you to do in return. But this, it's all rooted in what I've already done. Don't forget. And what he had done to the Egyptians, it says, and how he had bore up Israel already upon eagles' wings, and how he had been the one to bring them to him. And these three things were foundationally important to what God was challenging the Hebrew people to do because these three things had revealed specific things about God. It had revealed God's power. And God was calling them into relationship, this relationship of trust, trusting in Him, relying on Him, and clinging to Him, right? To do what He said, obey His voice, enter into this new life. And God was saying, do it because of this. Because I've revealed my power already to you. In addition to, to it already, God already revealing his power, but what he done would also had revealed God's protection and how he had bore them up on, on, on eagles' wings, right? God said, do it because I've protected you. I've, I've shown you my power. I've shown you my, my protection. And in addition to that, in God bringing them to him, and we know the stories, Right? As God brought his people to them, what did he do? What did they do at this point? They whined. They complained. They doubted. Oh, we want to go back. We're hungry. We're thirsty. And yet God brought them, these crybabies, <laughs> to him. And not only do we see a revelation of God's power, of God's protection, but we see a revelation of God's patience. Guys, and isn't that so awesome in our own lives to know that God says foundationally this relationship that he has desired to have with us rests in who he is, not just in his power and in his protection, but in his patience with us, just like a loving father is. I'm patient with you. I'm long-suffering to you. And these three things were foundationally important to what God was challenging the Hebrew people to do because it revealed so much of who he was. And in light of this, we see that God in verses 5 through 6, in light of this foundation that was being set, God in verses 5 and 6 issued two conditions to the challenge. And he said that if they would agree to obey his voice and keep his covenant, then he, if you, then I, then he would make them, what a deal, his special treasure. You guys have a special treasure? I have some special treasure. I mean, I have my wife and my kids, but as a guy, I have some guns. <laughs> you know, there's, there's certain things, guys, right? Ladies, you have some special treasures. You know, I, I, have, I have other special treasures. And the, and the thing about a treasure is, is they're valuable, right? You protect them. You hold them in a dear place. And God is saying, hey, you want to be my special treasure? In addition to that, he says, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. And lastly, a holy nation. And with these words of promise, Moses went back down the mountain. And it says he challenged the people who in verse 8 were told that on, that on behalf of the people, the, the elders on behalf of the people committed themselves to doing everything that the Lord had spoken. Guys, that's us. Really, that's what this is all about today. This study, this passage, these things, these reminders, it's a challenge again to us to go, Lord, everything that you've said, I want to do. I want to do. 
And when we begin to look at the practical application of this, we should see that, that God who had freed his people, ultimately, guy was ultimately that God who had freed his people, and God's freed us, has he not? But again, it's what we've talked about in the past. He didn't free them to, to, so that they would do what they, so that they could do what they wanted to do. He freed them so that they could do what they ought to do, what they should do. And the same is true with us. God's just not freed us so that we could go and do whatever we want to do. But he's freed us to do what we ought to do. And in that, we see that God who had freed his people and all of these things in this new life that he was calling them into was really calling them to enter into a life of spiritual maturity. He's calling, them, he's calling his kids to grow up. And God calls us to grow and to spiritually mature in our own walk and knowledge and understanding of who He is. And the fact of the matter is, is if freedom, is if the freedom that God had purchased for us and delivered us into does not lead to a maturing or to a maturity, you know what's going to happen? Then we will end up being imprisoned by a bondage worse than what we had before. And that is a bondage from within, not a bondage from without. Enslaved by our own wants, our own desires, our own flesh. If we're not doing what we ought to, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, going, I'm yours and you're mine. That's what's going on here. God's saying, whose are you going to be? Will you let me be your Lord? Truly, will you let me be my, your Lord? Not just the Savior, but your Lord. In other words, it's bad enough to be enslaved by an Egyptian taskmaster, right? By the world. But it's even worse to enslave yourself and become your own taskmaster. And every man doing what was right in his own eyes. So true freedom means that we're delivered from doing what's bad and therefore enabled to do what's good. Delivered from doing what is bad and enabled to do what is good. And when we accomplish God's will on the earth by entering into a covenantal, or excuse me, and then when we, we, we enable to do a good, then we accomplish God's will on this earth. And that's done by entering into this covenantal relationship with God by simply making this decision to be His. Daily, moment by moment. And from God's point of view, he had delivered, again, from God's point of view, he had delivered Israel from, from Egypt because he had something better for them. God had delivered them from Egypt because he had something better for them, something better for them to enjoy, something better for them to do, and something better for them to become. That's what all this is about. But this meant that they would have to experience some growing pains. And any time we're growing, there are going to be pains. And growing pains as they move towards maturity. And when we're spiritually maturing and growing in our own knowledge, when we're spiritually maturing and growing in our own understanding of who God is and of God's will for our lives, there's going to be growing pains as we walk through the open doors. And he sets them around us every day. And God says, will you come in? Will you enter through? And that's an, that's an invitation to his will, to life. Because that, in those moments, those open doors, they lead to more opportunities for responsible freedom. And think about that in regards to your own kids, right? 
As your kids grow, you know, they're, they're born and they begin to crawl and then they begin to walk and you move everything out of the way so that they don't get hurt. You know, and before you know it, they're, they're, they're wanting the keys to your car, you know. And, and you don't give the keys to your car to your five-year-old, but you do somewhat hesitantly to your 16-year-old. And there's these responsible freedoms that come with maturing, and the same is true in regards to spiritual maturity, as God sets open doors. As we set open doors before our own kids, God sets open doors for us and says, come on through it, but let's do it in a mature spiritual way. And with each one of those things, as you guys know, there's additional freedoms, right? I remember when I got the keys to the car. It was like, woohoo, freedom! But it had to be done responsibly, because if it's not done responsibly, I was enslaved by my own actions. And for me, it wasn't long that before my 1979 Pontiac Firebird ended me in, in many speeding tickets. And I lost my freedom. <laughs> but as we read on here, and as we look on, if you want to glance to verse 5, and you see it, we're gonna, it, it, we see that in calling his people, guys, into this life of maturity, God, in calling his people into this life of maturity, we see that I was also calling them into a better way of life, a better life. And sometimes, and that's important for us to know, because sometimes those open doors can be scary to walk through. We can have fear. We can have anxiety. We can understand. We know if you walk with the Lord that it's going to come with a cost. Because in order to have godly freedom, we have to put to death the desires and wants of our flesh. The old man must die so that, that God may reign and live in us. And so these things can be a challenge. But in, back in Egypt, the Hebrew people had become nothing more than slaves, right? Back in Egypt, the Hebrew people had become nothing more than slaves who did what their masters demanded. But God, I love that, all throughout Scripture, it's that but God thing. But God had so much better plan for them as they were, first of all, to be a special people. It was to be... They're special people, his special people, and they would use them, he would use them, God would use them as he had first promised, God desired to do this, and this was what it was about, even in a promise that he had made way back to their forefather Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. He was calling them as his own special people to be a blessing to the whole world, and this is why they, according to verse 5, were going to be his special treasure. In light of this, it's important to understand, guys, that all the nations of the earth, all the nations of the earth belong to the Lord, not just the nation of Israel. All the nations of the earth belong to the Lord for no other reason than this, because He's the maker and He's the sustainer. And there are passages of Scripture like Psalm 24, which declare this, where it says, the earth is the Lord's and, and all is fullness. The world and all those who dwell therein. And it reminds us of this, but God has chosen Israel specifically in this distinction to be his treasured possession. And this choice was not because of Israel's merits. It wasn't because Israel was like at the top of the list and God said, ah, I'm getting the cream of the crop. Not at all. It wasn't because of their own mother, of their own merit. Rather, it was only because of God's love and because of God's grace. And so it is in all of our lives as well. It wasn't like when the Lord saved you, you could stood up and go, yep, God, God made a good choice here. 
I have a whole lot to bring to the table. It was because of His love, because of His grace, because of His goodness. And so the fact that the Jews are God's chosen people doesn't mean that they are better than any other nation. It just simply means this, okay? They're different. They're called to be different. And when God chose us, He chose us to be different. He called us to be different. And literally what that means is set apart for the Lord for His special work, His special treasure. Set apart for his special work. However, we need to keep in mind that because Israel had been invited to become God's treasured people, there also came this greater responsibility. A greater responsibility to love and obey God. And this truth was proclaimed by Jesus just as an overall truth of understanding when he said in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, to him whom much is given, from him much will be required. And in regards to God calling His people into a better life, being a special treasure to Him, that was only the first thing that God was inviting His people to be. Uh, that was only the first thing because God was also inviting them to be, if you look there, a kingdom of priests. I think it's in verse 6. A kingdom of priests. And when we get to chapters 28 and 29, when the priesthood is established and where Aaron and his sons would be consecrated to serve as the priests of the nation of Israel, we'll examine that, what that means in, in greater detail. But for now, what we need to see is that this invitation to be a kingdom of priests was alluding, was alluding to something more than the Levitical priesthood, which we're familiar with, as, as it was God's intent, really, that all the Hebrew people would live as his priests. And this meant that they were being called to manifest the truths of God as God worked in them and through them. Do you see that? As a nation, as His people, as a light to bless the rest of the world. In other words, Israel was being called to be an example of God. To who? To all the other nations. Of His love, of His grace, of His mercy, of His justice, of His righteousness, of His goodness to all the other nations, and to prove to them, to be a witness to them, not only of who God is and was, but the fact that there is only one true and living God. And in part, the same effect was also achieved by the third aspect of this better life that God was inviting His people to receive as He was calling them to be a holy nation. A kingdom of priests, His special treasure, and a holy nation Literally, a people set apart for God, a people who are different in every, other, in every way from every other person in the world. A strange and peculiar people. And the law, guys, where they said, God said, obey my voice, right? And they said, we'll do everything you say. The law, which would come after this, the law was literally the manual for how to be a strange and peculiar people. It was a guide. It was a guide for this. And this is why in the giving of the law, God at least six different times that I've found in the book of Leviticus said this, be holy for I am holy. And what was God saying? Be like me. If you're going to be an example to everybody around me of my grace, my love, my mercy, my holiness, my righteousness, my justice, be like me. So in every area of life, Israel was to be governed by the fact that they were called to be a holy nation, set apart as those who belong to God. And this included what they ate, what they wore, who they married, and especially how they worshiped God in order to, to be a light and influence to all the people around them. 
And if we look at history, we know that Israel failed miserably, guys, did they not? Unfortunately, history tells us that Israel, instead of influencing the other nations to worship and serve the one true and living God, they were influenced by other nations to worship idols. And by not walking in this better life, okay, there's the key because it's going to become very applicable for us here in just a second. By not walking in this better life that God had called them to, the same kind of life that God's called us to, the Hebrew people adopted the religions and the lifestyles of the Gentiles, and really they defiled themselves, they defiled their land, and they defiled their temple, their meeting place with God. Now before we move on, and we're actually going to end here because we're running out of time. So as we end here, not before, as we move on, I want to point out that there's very similar imagery found in the New Testament about what we're reading here. Is there not? I mean, it should be clicking in your minds, and this in 1 Peter. And the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 borrowed this imagery, and he called, he called listen carefully, he called us, the church, a holy priesthood, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, his own special people, and, and, and he said that because he said God has chosen us for this. He's called us into this new life that we may proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into light, his marvelous light. So like Israel of old, we of God's people have also been invited into a better life, has we not? We've been invited into a better life. A life of blessing. And with the privilege of a better life, we too have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. Not re responsibility is the same as the nation of Israel. A responsibility to point people to our Lord. And reveal by our words and by our deeds just how wonderful He is. Guys, there's people who don't hear the people in this world, like these kids, even at the bridge, who have not heard God's voice. And we have a message for them. So do the words we speak and the way we live reveal God to others, to those around us. Does it reveal His holiness? Be holy as I am holy. His love. Love God and love others, Jesus said. The whole of the law is contained in these two commands. But, uh, but this better life, this new way of life, of love, reveals God. His righteousness and, and, and don't get stumbled on that word because that just righteousness just means the right way. The way we ought to go. And God's shown us the right way. And He's empowered us by His Holy Spirit to move in the right way. But in doing so, His righteousness, a better way of living is revealed. But even more importantly, guys, by the way we speak and by the, by the words we speak and by the way we live, does it reveal God's grace, God's mercy, 
and God's forgiveness. And we must keep in mind that these things can only be true ultimately if we are willing to obey His voice. Let's pray. I pray, God, that the words that are in our hearts and that are in our minds this morning would be the same as the children of Israel who stood up together and said, all that You have spoken, we will do. And God, we know that this is not a burdensome thing, that Your, 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 your yoke is light. But that it's a freeing thing, it's a joyous thing, it's a, it's a, it's a blessing. And God, it's because You love us and because we love You that we can answer this morning and say, all that You have asked us to do, we will do. And I pray, God, that in doing so, not only would You work in us and through us, but God, that we would see Your fruit being born forth into the lives of those around us. God, that we would see others becoming Your special treasure. Becoming part of the family, God, that You've drawn us to. And Lord, we love You, and we pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry about not having a lost song this morning. Seth had to run off. So may God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And if you can join us on Wednesday, we have services here on Wednesday night as well. Have a great day.